And the two leaders that we're dealing with now, that we're focusing on the Shimon ben Sh- Yehuda ben Tabai and Shimon ben Shetach. Ben Shotach. And this is the period under Alexander Yanai, King Yanai, as I mentioned, who's married to Shlomi Alexander Tzion, the queen. She's Orthodox. He's Sadducee. He's a sectarian. And um, as a result of the king favoring the Sadducees, the Sanhedrin is infiltrated with sectarian members. So it's essentially not a functioning Orthodox Supreme Court at all. And there's political unrest. Um, There we go. As I mentioned, under Alexander Yanai, um, he's very repressive, very brutal. He murders thousands of Jews at the temple on Sukkot. And he's very unpopular king. And under him, there's a pur- an attempt to purge the Orthodox sages of Israel, even though one of them is his brother-in-law, Shimon ben Shotach. And so the sages essentially are in exile, including his brother-in-law, Simon, son of Shetach, um, the queen's brother. And he's in Alexandria. Yehuda ben Tabai is apparently also there, but he went there already because he, he didn't want the position. If you recall the story in the Talmud, Yehuda ben Tabai, he escapes Jerusalem because they offered him the job as chief rabbi. And as we mentioned on Shabbos a little bit, the essence of Jewish leadership is that the leader refuses the position. So Yehuda ben Tabai runs. He runs away to Alexandria, Egypt. So he's in exile. So they're both in exile. Eventually, Shalomi, Shalomi Tzion, the queen, convinces her, her husband, Alexander King Yanai, to allow her brother to return, Shimon ben Shotach. And as he returns, he's slowly purging the court of the sectarian members, all the Sadducees, the non-Orthodox judges. And he's replacing them with genuine Orthodox judges who are believers in the oral law. And so he sends to Alexandria and he requests his colleague, Yudam and Tabai, to return and take up the position of what is apparently Nasi, the head of the court, or the prince. Although there's actually a debate, two opinions in the Talmud, as which of the these the pair was the Nasi, which was the head of the court. But according to one version anyway, Yudam and Tabai is the Nasi, he's the the president, the prince, and Shimon Shatach is therefore the Avbeddin, the head of the court. And so Shimon Shotach, under his leadership, the court is restored to its Pharisaic tradition, to the Orthodox tradition of following the 
oral law is divine, and the Tzeduki judges, the Sadducee judges, are slowly displaced from the court and replaced by Orthodox Rabbanim. And with Yehuda ben Tabe at the head and Shimon ben Shatach along, alongside him. So we learned the teaching of Yehuda ben Tabai, which is to be very, very careful. Judges, be careful not to act like lawyers, not to lead on the clients. And we explained on several levels, if you recall, the necessity or the context for Yudhubin Tabai giving this advice to the judiciary. Firstly, because in his days, you have corrupt judges, sectarian judges, and you have to restore authenticity, integrity to the judiciary. So he's telling them to be very careful as judges, in their role of judges, not to act as lawyers leading on the litigants, but remaining perfectly objective. And as I explained, there's also a historical reason, and that is that at one time there was a case of plotting witnesses, which I explained last week what that is. The witnesses were impeached, and the law is that if witnesses are impeached, then the law says you shall do to them, to the conspiring witnesses, as they plotted to do to the victim, to the guy they falsely accused, to the guy they framed. So in the case of murder, a capital crime, where two witnesses falsely accuse individual of committing murder, and then those original two witnesses, the accusing witnesses, are impeached, Because two witnesses come along and say there's no way you could have seen what you saw because you were with us at a different location at that time. Then we believe the second set of witnesses and the first witnesses are, are proclaimed by the, by the Torah to be plotting or conspiring witnesses and they receive whatever verdict they planned to have applied to the accused, the innocent accused. So, what happened was that under Yehud ben Tabai's watch as a judge, there were conspiring witnesses who were exposed, and he had him executed. And Shimon Shatach, his colleague, later pointed out to him that he made a legal error. Because you the only time you execute the conspiring witnesses if they're both impeached, if only because they're a group. You don't divide the two witnesses. Two witnesses is the basic unit of testimony in Jewish law. So if only one of the witnesses was impeached, then you do not apply the biblical prescription of you shall do to him as he plotted to do to the defendant. Since only one of the two was impeached, then biblically you should not have applied the death sentence to the one witness, explained Shimon Shatak to his colleague 
Yehuda ben Tabai. Yehuda ben Tabai was that naturally, he was deeply regretful and broken by the fact that he had made this error in law, and essentially an innocent man, or well, not technically innocent, but someone who, on a technicality, could not have been killed. But he was killed mistakenly, and so for the rest of his life, he would not sit in judgment unless Shimon ben Shatak was present as a safety net. So that was the story of Yudha ben Tabai. Then Shimon Shatak also gives a cautionary statement regarding the judiciary. And again, in part, the historical context makes sense because he is purging the court from corrupt judges. And who knows what's been going on in the court with corrupt judges. Then you have corrupt witnesses, and, and the whole system is undermined. Says Shimon ben Chartak. Oime. So he used to say, and again, the historical context, as I mentioned earlier, have a marbalakas aidim. He's talking to the judges. So in one sense, he has to retrain judges because remember, he's just removed all the phony judges, the sectarian judges, the sedusi, the tzedukim. He's getting rid of them from the court. So he's, he's, he's installing new judges. These are Pharisees, Jews who are loyal to the oral law. But maybe they don't, they don't have experience as judges. They, they haven't sat on the court. Because the court under King Yanai was a Sadducee court. Had sectarian leanings and loyalties. So he's got to retrain them. It's like someone who, God forbid, has a stroke. Or God forbid, a brain tumor. And you've got to relearn everything. you got to rehab. So Shimon Mishotak is retraining the judges from scratch. And he's stating that you should increasingly cross-examine the witnesses. Be, be, be very exacting and thorough in your interrogation and cross-examination of witnesses, and especially in a capital crime. Because the real thorough cross-examination and uh, interrogation is with capital crimes. Also to some degree in civil cases dealing with you know finances, questions of money, but much more so as we studied in Maimonides a few weeks back in the laws of um, court testimony that the Inter interrogations and uh, investigations that take place, cross-examination of witnesses in a capital crime is extremely thorough. So he is cautioning the judges to be extremely thorough in the cross-examination and he has in mind in particular capital crimes as I'll explain in a second because of an incident um, where he was personally involved, or in a sense, 
where he personally suffered from an injustice. As I'm, I'll explain in a minute. And he warns the judges, not unlike his colleague Yudim and Tabai, who warned the judges to be careful not to lead on, don't do the pleading for the clients, for the litigants. Don't lead them on. So here too, he says, be very careful when you're talking to the litigants who are in front of you. Have you Be careful with your words. Choose your words very carefully. Because the way that you phrase the questions, the way you frame the questions, you know, it's a matter of law. They can, they might figure out what it is exactly that you want to hear. And therefore they will learn from the words of the judge exactly how to lie. Right? The way that you're asking, the framing of those questions could, could be a clue to tell the litigants who maybe are not legitimate exactly how to lie. Exactly what to tell you to convince you of the truth. So be very careful when you're speaking to the litigants as a judge. Now what happened with Shimon ben Shaddai? You would have been taught by I told you. He made a mistake in the law of conspiring witnesses. He, killed, he had two executed when only one was supposed to be, or only one was impeached, and therefore none of them could be executed. What happened with Shimon Chotach? Unfortunately, it was even worse. It was not an error on his part, but rather, Shimon Chotach was a fiery leader. Remember, his sister is the queen, but he has to fight to get rid of all the sectarian groups individuals in the court and to restore orthodoxy to the Jewish kingdom under Yanai and eventually when Yanai dies under the queen who is very loyal to orthodoxy to the Pharisees and he does a lot of purges there's an incident a story in Ashkelon there were uh, numerous women practicing sorcery, actual witchcraft. And he got involved. It's a famous story in the Gemara of Shimon Shatach and the 80 witches in Ashkelon. Anyway, after that story, apparently, he made a lot of enemies. Because whenever you have a leader, we spoke about on Shabbos, leaders can be unpopular if they lead. And so there were those who conspired to take revenge on Shimon ben Shotach. Some say it was after the story in Ashkelon, the incident with the 80 witches. And what they did is they falsely accused his son of murder. 
and they set it up with false witnesses. They framed him, falsely accused him. Someone paid witnesses to testify in court. And anyway, it's a whole story. And unfortunately, even though Shimon Shadrach knew that it was unjust and that it was unlawful and it was not legitimate and his son professed his innocence to the court, uh, unfortunately, it was a tight case. They had a tight case against him. The, the, the evidence was stacked against him. They had the witnesses against him. And there was no way to defend him in a court of law. And unfortunately, um, they followed through. So he's lost his son to a, to a corrupt judiciary, to corrupt witnesses. So we can understand why one of the one of the issues that was uppermost in Shimon Shatach's heart was honest judges with integrity. Be careful how you speak judges and cross-examination of witnesses so that you could detect false, phony witnesses. He had a personal stake in this teaching. Okay, so that's the story of a really chaotic period under the King Yanai, Hellenistic period, where the Hellenists have gained control of the government, of the kingdom, and the um, Sadducees, the sectarians, who deny the oral law and have Hellenistic leanings, have gained control of the court. We move on now to the next generation. The next pair of sages at the helm of the Jewish people, at the, uh, who are the leaders to, in the chain of tradition, passing down the oral law. And the pair that we have now, pair number four, <clears throat> is Shmaya and Avtalyan. Now Shmaya and Avtalyan were either, they were themselves, it seems that they themselves were converts to Judaism. Um, Avtalian, it seems, was a, a teacher of children. They say the name Avtalian means a father to little kids. He was a teacher, a school teacher. And they were the two greatest scholars of the generation. So one became the Nasi, was appointed the head of the court. The second was appointed the Av Betin, the um, Sorry, the first one was the president of the court. Second was the head of the court. Father of the court, Av Beidin, like the chief justice. So Shmai and Avtalian, the two converts, Kiblu Mayhem, they received from the two previous sages, Yehudim and Tabai and Shimon Chotach. What did they receive? They received the transmission of the oral law. You see, we've got an unbroken chain. What the Mishnah wants to demonstrate, that we have an unbroken chain of tradition. No broken telephone here. 
but an unbroken chain, we can identify which sage passed down to which sage or which group of sages passed down to which pair of sages. So Shmaya of Talyan are the next chain in the link. So they too had their famous teachings. Of course, like all of them, they taught all of the Torah. They taught all 613 commandments. And they taught all areas of Judaism. So they used to speak about all areas. But again, everyone had a central message. A key campaign, which he repeated again and again. Shmaya Oime. Shmaya used to say, Love the job. Love, love the work. What work is he talking about? We'll come back to it in a minute. But loathe mastery over others. It could also be don't look forward to her position as a rabbi. You shouldn't want it. Because like we said earlier, you've been taught by what happens when they offered him the job as chief rabbi? He ran. He ran till he left the country. So Shmaya is saying the same thing. You should not desire being the chief rabbi. If you do, you're the wrong guy for the job. The right guy for the job is the guy who doesn't want the job. And don't get too intimate with the government. So what's he talking about? <clears throat> so part of what he's saying, going to one explanation, <clears throat> the work that we're talking about is the work that we spoke about in the beginning of this chapter, raising up many students. Right? Raising up many students and doing it in a loving way. Notice he says love. Like Hillel will say later on, be of the disciples of Aaron, loving people and bringing them close to Torah. You've got to love that job of bringing Jews closer to the Torah. Be like Aaron. The job of raising up many students, which was, which was the main teaching of the first set of rabbis, the men of the great assembly, who said, raise up many students. You've got to love that work, said Shmaya Naftalium. Shmaya. And especially again, this is a chaotic period, so you have to, you can't wait for the students to come to you. Like Aaron, you've got to run after them. Run after peace. Chase the people down. And you have to love the work of bringing Jews closer to Judaism. And to be effective, you cannot, the people need to feel that you don't have a superiority complex. If you're the great rabbi and they're the ignoramuses, it ain't going to work. You gotta love them and treat them as equals. Snarsarabonus. Loathe mastery over others. If they feel 
you're the big shot teaching the nobodies, then you will, will not succeed in raising up many students. So that's Shmaya's message. And then he says, be careful, stay away from, stay away from the government. Look what happened when Shimon ben Shatach got close to his brother-in-law, the king. Started off good, but he didn't end up good. He had to run for his life. He had to get out of town in a hurry to Alexandria. Right? And you got just be very careful because the government, people in power, kings, politicians, um, as we will learn later on, one of the sages will say they only rub shoulders with you for their own self-promotion, for their own self-interest. When you need them, they won't be there. They're opportunists. And they're also capricious. So you don't want to get too familiar. Some people like to rub shoulders with, you know, all the important people, the politicians, but that can backfire on you. And if you're in a position of leadership for Judaism, that can cost Judaism because they come after you. So Shimon Chantach had to run and leave the country. So who was going to teach Judaism? Well, while Shimon Shafak was gone, nobody. So it's better sometimes, says Shmaya, that the government doesn't know you. That the local politicians don't know you. Yes, it can, be, it can come in handy. Some people are very good at that diplomacy and they know all the, you know, the city council and they know the mayor. And they know everybody and this, you know, this, the congressman, the senate. There are times when that is crucial. But there are times when that can be very dangerous. And it can backfire on you. So Shmaya, he advises against it. Especially when he just saw a generation earlier the disaster with King Yanai. Who murdered all the rabbis. Now his colleague Avtalian. Avtalian Oimer. Avtalian used to say, Chachamin, sages. And of course, he's teaching, he's talking to the sages, but he's talking about to anybody in leadership, really. But firstly, to the rabbis. Because, you know, they were living in a very chaotic time. First was the story of Hanukkah. The collision of two cultures. A, a cultural struggle. An ideological war. Between Hellenism and Judaism. In the rest of the world, wherever Hellenism came, it was welcomed. It was embraced. People were more than happy to put on a toga and go running and join the Olympics, join the gym, and become Greek. Go to a, a play, 
learns from Aristotle, be a philosopher, art, poetry, philosophy, science, uh, exercise. Why not? It was beautiful, aesthetic. It was modern. It was all the rave. Hellenism was trendy. And it was trending all over the world. So the Gentiles, who were conquered by first Alexander and then his generals, they welcomed Greek culture with open arms. They had no special loyalty to their culture or even to their religions. And they abandoned them in their droves for Greek culture, Greek philosophy, etc., etc. But only in this little tiny country called Israel or Judea did they resist. Stubborn Jews, a stiff-necked people, they would not surrender, at least for the most part, to Greek culture. They would not abandon Moses and Mount Sinai for um, Zeus and Mount Olympus. They weren't interested. But of course, amongst the elite of Jerusalem, the aristocracy, which at that time in Jerusalem was essentially the priesthood, and, and the sectarians, known as the Sadducees, that we learned about the students of Antigonus. We learned about earlier in the chapter. They essentially came from amongst the priesthood. So, this is a time of sectarian break-off from Judaism, uh, a lot of Greek philosophy infiltrating people on the story of Hanukkah, Hellenization, and different parts of the world, Hellenization is stronger. In Jerusalem, perhaps it's not as strong as it used to be in the times of the Hashmoneum, but as you see, the Sadducees were gaining power under King Yanai. Now, the sages have restored control to the Sanhedrin. But there are other parts of the world, like Alexandria, Egypt. Alexandria, Egypt, had become a major center of Hellenistic thought. There's a very famous Jewish Hellenist philosopher, Philo, who interpreted all the commandments allegorically according to Greek philosophy. And Alexandria had a huge Jewish community. There were probably hundreds of thousands, if not even millions of Jews. Alexandria was a huge center of Jewish civilization. I described the synagogue last week, a gigantic synagogue. And Alexandria was also a major center of Greek civilization, Greek culture. So the Jews of Alexandria tended to be modern Hellenists. So, with that context in mind, says Aftalian, Rabbis, be very careful what you say. And like his colleague said, 
Be careful what you say to the government. Because you, if you upset the king, what's going to happen? What, what happened? What happened to Shimonetta? You're going to have to leave the country in a hurry. You're going to be in exile. And, you know, a Jew, you don't have too many choices of where to live. Alexandria was about the only place you could live, where there was a center of Jews. But it wasn't so kosher. There was a lot of foreign, sectarian, alien views, ideologies circulating amongst the population, Jewish population of Alexandria. So he says, Chachomim, wise men, be very careful what you say, what you say to the government, what you say to your students. Why? Shema. Maybe you don't know what life will bring. Maybe you will be exiled. Why would he, why would Italian imagine such a thing? Why? Because it happened to his teacher. His teacher, Shemin Shatach, was exiled. So was Yerubin Tabai. They were living in Alexandria for years. Chaivas Golus, you'll be exiled. And what will happen? If you're exiled, all your students will follow you. You will be exiled to a a place of evil waters. What do you mean evil waters? Waters is a water is a metaphor for Torah and for knowledge, of evil knowledge, sectarian views, heretical views, Greek, Hellenistic views, like in Alexandria, Egypt. So you won't be able to control the influence of what your students are going to drink. If you're in Jerusalem in the yeshiva, you can control it. But not in Alexandria, Egypt, or any other place like that, a place of evil waters. And your students, your disciples who come after you, will then drink of these evil waters. And what will happen? They're going to be poisoned. Spiritually poisoned. Ideologically poisoned. And they will be destroyed. They will die a spiritual death. Okay? They will spiritually die. Because you can't control the influences in a place in exile. You're not under control. You're in exile. So you lose your ability to teach and you'll also lose your control you can't control the atmosphere that your students are in, living in. And as a result of this, the name of God and Judaism will be desecrated. Because if you've got, if the students of great rabbis and sages are defecting from Judaism in great numbers, 
It doesn't speak well of Judaism, does it? And therefore, you will cause Shem Shemayim, the name of God, Judaism, to be terribly disgraced and desecrated. So, as you can see, both Shemaya and Aftalian are very sensitive to the time that they live in. And are warning the sages to, gen in general, be careful of how you present your teachings. Because in, in an age of heresy, it's very easy for someone to come and twist your words. To misinterpret them. Look what happened to Antignus, the man of Soho. He taught something beautiful in the beginning of the chapter. He taught, do not be as, he taught an idealistic Judaism, an altruistic Judaism. Do not be like servants who serve the master expecting a reward, but rather be like servants who serve the master not expecting a reward. altruistic, for the sake of God, for the sake of him, acting out of love, came along. This, uh, this was a beautiful idea. His two students, Tzadok, Baitus, then misinterpreted his words. Why does he say don't expect reward? Because there is nothing to expect. There is no reward. So they said, well, if there is no Nothing in the next world. There is no. We better enjoy this world. And then that's the Sadducees and the Batusians who deny the oral law. So you got to be very careful, says Shmaya and Aftalian. Be, watch your words. Don't leave any room for ambiguity. You got to be crystal clear in a chaotic time of. When heretical ideas are circulating, you can't leave it to chance. You gotta be crystal clear. You can't afford to be ambiguous so that people don't misinterpret your words. Be very careful, stay far away from politics and government during unstable times. Because it can backfire. What is Leverage today can make you vulnerable tomorrow. You'll have to leave the country. You'll like like Shemeshota. You'll have to live in a place that isn't so conducive to holiness and spiritual living, like Alexandria in Egypt. It was a great place for vacation, but not for yeshiva. Too many, too much evil water. Too many foreign ideas circulating. And you can't control what your students will drink. They will drink and you'll lose them. They'll die. And then all of Judaism collapses. So they are really addressing the age that they're living in. Any questions on that? Guys. Oh, Shalom Aleichem. Sure. Uh, the word mitarein, is that a combination of death and, and 
Chalel come from the word choyol, which means to profane, to be profane. So you're profaning God's name. It's yeah, diff, that's with a hey. That's with a hey. It's the opposite, because halal is to praise God, and this is to disgrace God. It's it's the same idea as in the concept of chilul Hashem, when someone acts in a way that's defamatory and derogatory towards Judaism by his personal conduct. So, again, Shema Naftalian are, they have to underscore the great responsibility of being a Jewish leader in chaotic times. Now, it's important to be, it's a great responsibility under the best of times. Right? But under chaotic times, you have to be even more careful as a leader. Careful what you do, what you say, who you know, who you associate with during good times, normal times. So being connected with the government could be a good thing. If you've got a normal government and it's peaceful, tranquil, like look in America, you get to know the mayor, city council, and that can help you as a Jewish leader in many, many things. Right? You want to build a synagogue, you want to build a mikvah. If, if you know the city council, you know the mayor, you know the local politicians, you know the congressmen, all this can, can help you. But Shemayin Avtalian are telling you, you know, that's when you got to know under normal circumstances. Normal governments, times of peace, when you've got chaos, when you've got sectarian battles, and the king is part of that battle, he's caught up in the ideology. So then, very dangerous to get too close to people in power. Because it can backfire. Today, he's your friend. Tomorrow, he wants to kill you. Which is exactly what happened to Shimon ben Shatach. First, Yanai, the king, was in love with Shimon ben Shatach. He married his sister. This is a wise sage of Israel. I want to be associated with him. I married his sister. And then, when he changed his ideology, later on he became a fully, full-fledged sectarian, a Sadducee, totally denying authority of the sages, of the rabbis, of the Talmud, or law. So what happened? He became a sworn enemy of his brother-in-law. Tried to have him killed. So the, his, his very association with the king turned out to be dangerous. Because the king knew exactly who he was and targeted him for, for elimination. And he had to leave the country in a hurry. So Shmaynaftalian, these are the students of the past generation, of the two rabbis of one generation prior. They saw the danger inherent in being too intimate with the government, with the king. So they advised, till we get a normal king, or there's a normal government, which of course they didn't have for a while, it's better to stay as far from the government as you can. 
That was one. And the second was, of course, again, reminding again the sages of Israel to be so, so careful. But it's again, it's not just, a, it's any leader. If you're a teacher, be careful what you say to kids. One carefully placed word to a young child can set them on a path, a wonderful path, the beginning of the rest of their life. Or one callous, unthoughtful word, unkind word, thrown at a child, right? You don't even think about it. Can destroy their self-esteem for the rest of their life. So be very careful. Chachamim. If you're wise men, think before you speak. Think about the repercussions, the ramifications, the consequences of your words. Because words have consequences. Like Solomon says, words are like, a, they're like an arrow. Once you let them go, you can't take them back. Right? You put an, an arrow in the bow, and you pull, you let go, it's gone. You cannot withdraw the arrow. And when words strike, they strike like an arrow, and you can build someone with your words. As Solomon says, Life and death are in the hand of the tongue, in the power of the tongue. And sometimes parents, teachers, they can be insensitive or unthinking in the words that they say. And again, you can make a kid or you can break a kid. Right? Sometimes you got a student yeshiva and he needs a little extra love and care. TLC. And you speak a little roughly to him. You reject him. Or you dismiss his question. He's in the class. He asks a question. He meant it sincerely. And you're a little impatient. You're tired. Who knows? The other kids have asked better questions. And he's asking a relatively simple question. And rather than taking his question seriously... And, and respectfully, you dismiss it. Ah, that's the question you asked me. You chutzpanyak. You have the audacity to ask me, the great scholar, such a simple question. That's beneath me. And you dismiss the kid, and what do you do? You just crushed his self-esteem in front of all the students which is a, itself a terrible thing to do. But you've also destroyed his Judaism. Why will he ever want to learn? You just killed his love for learning. So a leader, a leader, a rabbi, a teacher, a parent, anyone in a position of leadership carries a tremendous responsibility with their words. And on that note, we dedicate the, the class to um, Rachel 
Basra Aaron and the Neshama Shadav and Aliyah, Rachel, Bas, the daughter of Rabaran, Neshama Shadav and Aliyah, and we dedicate the study of the Mishnah.